Take your Bibles and go to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. And I know your bulletin says John 17, looking at the heart of Jesus in prayer, but uh, we're, we are using this. You might say I'm using this as introduction, okay? And I probably will have an entire sermon this morning on the introduction, okay? But Isaiah 53 is where you need to be. Uh, we've looked at those first three verses in John chapter 17, and I wanted to go further than that, but uh, we are uh, going to get back to it. But I just wanted you to see that this really serves as an introduction to the prayer of Jesus there. So I said, you know, I, I ought to just bring this in as that, even though we've had three sermons now on John chapter 17. Um, just keep it in mind that regardless of where I preach from in the Word of God, if it's the Word of God and it's rightly divided, God has a purpose. And when He uh, puts something on your heart and you work on it, and then all of a sudden He puts something else on your heart, you go with it. Just go with whatever God has there. Understand, when you come to church, you're not listening for what the preacher's going to give you. You're going to listen for what God's going to give you. Okay, and so let's, let's keep that in our heart and mind. And it's my responsibility to listen to God and hear what He would have me to say. Uh, but as we're looking there, in John chapter 17, don't turn there now, but the prayer of Jesus Christ. He's making this prayer. He knows that the soldiers are on their way. They're going to take Him away. And first they're going to take Him to the high priest. And then after they do their things to Jesus, they will send him on to Pilate. And so he goes to Pilate. And again, he is taken there from Pilate down to the judgment hall. And in that judgment hall, he'll be beaten with the Roman cat of nine tails. The Roman cat of nine tails was, had nine leather strap, uh, straps going off the whip with bits of bone, metal, and ivory that were tied into it. So when the, that big burly soldier would come over the uh, man's back, and really the man would be tied with his hands stretched up, and of course, no, no, nothing on his back, and they would come around, and they'd rip it back out. And as they would do that, it would uh, just really rip the skin out. And as a matter of fact, there were men that died at the whipping post, as they would call it. Uh, their entrails would fall out, and before they could even get into a cross, they were dead. And so that tells you the cruelty uh, that would take place at that time, and this is what's going to uh, happen with him. Now, I remember sitting in the Pilate's judgment hall. I've been there each time I've gone to Israel, and so I've been there at least seven or eight times. And um, uh, anywhere you're sitting, if you ever go to Israel and you go to Pilate's judgment hall by the work they've done through excavation, all that, and all that they do, they found that this is actually is with what they found there. That actually is Pilate's judgment hall, and anywhere you're sitting within 50 feet in that that building, anywhere in that building within 50 feet, Jesus was there receiving that whipping for us. That was applied to him, and you'll always know it. And I've always uh, been there, been assigned to read this passage, so to speak, 
and I never make it through. When you're sitting there and you realize what happened to your Savior, and it was for you. And so I just want you to understand that, that uh, this was the starting, that when we see by his stripes we are healed, we'll see that here in just a moment in Isaiah chapter 53, and looking, we'll look this morning at verses 3 through 11. One of the blessings I've had, special blessings I've had today, I mean just this very day, I know that every time I come up here to preach, they have this digital clock up here for me, and it's not there. Okay, I'm praising God. Okay, I don't, I'm not sure if y'all will. He said, well, that's there. there's that big clock back there. Yeah. I can't read it, but it's back there, okay? Okay, so we see it back there, but nonetheless, uh, uh, we will get right into this message here and, and preach as the Lord would lead us. Father, I pray as we go into this message today, Lord, I, I try to imagine you having that prayer, knowing all these things before they happen, knowing what's going to happen and what's going to be upon you. And Lord, through your love, you go on through it with for us. And so I thank you for that, Lord. Now I pray as I preach this message that thy very spirit would take over, give understanding to every person in this auditorium, those listening on radio and those watching live stream, just help them to help each of us to uh, comprehend the fullness of the heart of Jesus in doing this for us. And may it stick with us, not leave us when we go out of this auditorium. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Now, as we look here in Isaiah chapter 53, uh, in verse 3, we read this. Uh, he is despised. This is speaking of Jesus. This is 700 years before this happens. 700 years, it tells exactly what's going to happen to Jesus, and it happens exactly like the Bible says. You say, well, why is that? The Bible is never wrong. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning. There is nothing new. Nothing ever is new to God. He knows everything. He knows the day that I will die. He knows the day that you will die. He knew before you was born when you would be born. As a matter of fact, the moment you were conceived in your mother, he placed a spirit inside that seed. The spirit you have came from God. That's what the Bible teaches. And the Bible has never, ever been wrong. So I want you to understand that, that the very moment of conception, that is a human body, not fully formed, but it's a human life because God has put a spirit in it. You see? And so that's why, uh, for an example, as a Christian, I know, take a stand against abortion. I'm against murdering babies. And so I take that stand because I know what the Bible says. And so because the Bible tells us that, teaches us that, that at conception, even King David says, as he was led by the Holy Spirit to say it, in sin did my mother conceive me. See, we are all born with that sin nature, every one of us. Every one of us were born with the sin nature. So, he says there, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows. And he is acquainted with grief. 
And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. You see, Jesus is being smitten and afflicted for my sin, your sin, for the sin of all men for all time. Verse 5 says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. As we just stated from Acts chapter 15 just a few moments ago, known unto God are all his works from the beginning. He knew that he was going to do this. He knew that man would sin. He did not predestined man to sin. People think that, teach that today, are completely wrong. God didn't predestine men to sin because God hates sin. Sin is the thing God hates the most. If you said, what does God hate more than anything? It's sin. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not one person under the sound of my voice today that has not sinned. You cannot say that and say it honestly. I mean, you can say it, but you'd be a liar. Just add to your sin. But We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is what the Bible says, and, and so we know it's true. And so the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, grasp what that means. Knowing all that would happen, do you realize that God would know every sin that I would commit ever before I was born? Ever before I was born. He did not will me to commit it. He, in my case, he provided me with godly parents. I have no excuse. He didn't will anybody to live in sin or to commit sin. But have you ever seen a little child, maybe two or three years old, and, and mama says, don't do this. Daddy says, don't do this. And they just kind of walk off. And they do it again. Hoping they're not looking. Or they run in the bedroom and, and do it. Whatever it was, they do it. They're trying to get away with it. You know, it's a, you know that, that is actually born out of a sin nature. Because the child already knows Next time he does it, he's going to get a spanking if he gets caught. Now, it was nice. I didn't say if she gets caught. It's always her fault, but nonetheless, okay. <laughs> no, but uh, really, uh, the Lord knows it. And because of that, he laid on his only begotten son, laid on him the iniquity of us all. That day Jesus is on the cross, my sin is on him, and that's what the wrath of God has been poured out in full against it. My sin, every sin I ever committed was placed at that time. Verse 7 says, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He has brought us a lamb 
to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so openeth he not his mouth. You realize the impact of he didn't open his mouth against it? When they're going to take him to the cross, and, and Peter said, was ready to take a sword out, and he says, don't you know that I could call 12 legions of angels? You realize there's 6,000 in the legion? 72,000 angels could have come at that moment. And as I told you a week or so ago, it was only one angel that killed 185,000 of the enemy. Just think of 72,000 angels. He could have called at any time. He could have called. And so he, here he is. He's on the cross. Did not call for any help of the angels. His bones are all out of joint. As he says in Psalms 22, I may tell all my bones. When they would allow that cross to fall into the hole there and it would make that jerk, that's one of the things that it would do. It would just jerk their bones out of place. Not a bone of him was broken, but they were jerked out of place. Not a bone of him was broken, but he had a broken body in that it was bleeding from head to toe. He did that for us. From the Roman cat of nine tells that ripped his flesh to shreds. From the slapping of his face to the spitting in his face. from the nails being driven in his hands and feet to hold him to that cross. To all of that they placed upon him. He opened not his mouth. They are standing down there in front of him once the cross is in place. Not only do they spit on him, they curse his holy name. They curse him. They mock him. They challenge him. He called himself the son of God. Well, let him call him down now. Let's see what he can do about it. Oh, are they going to find out what he's going to do about it? Oh, yes. They all don't believe. You know, some people have a problem with it when I just said some of the things I said. I can't believe all of that. Do you know that it's in recorded history that when they, uh, I mean, they found the books and everything on crucifixions. It wasn't just Jesus that was crucified that way. There were people in that time, that was one of the greatest forms, you might say, or the most uh, terrible forms, might be a better way to say it, of torture. One of the worst tortures ever. To torture a man that way in putting him to death. Most men of that day, they knew they were going to die on a cross and they saw a crucifixion. They would prefer that they would just chop their head off at the block than to have to suffer through what those men on the cross suffered. But we must keep it in mind that Jesus the whole time, when they were driving the nails in his hands, and the whole time that he's on the cross, he's praying. Not for himself, he's saying, 
Father, forgive them. They, they know not what they do. He's asking to forgive those that are doing this to him. He says they know not what they do. He's hoping that they come to salvation through him being on the cross because he's dying for their sin, even though they're down there doing these things to him. But as those things are happening, keep it in mind, he's up there for my sin, for your sin. He's up there paying that penalty for each of us. I, I can tell you right now, people in here, I don't think there's people in here like that, but there could be somebody in here who says, I've never done anything wrong. Let me talk to your spouse and we'll find out. But um, you'll say, I've never done anything wrong. I never sinned. There are some people who said, I got saved and I haven't sinned since I'm saved. That's a lie too. But understand, every sin was upon him. My sin, your sin, all sin for all time was upon him. He was paying the penalty, the judgment that was on sin. He was paying it for us. And he says in verse 8, he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? Who? Who stood up for him at the cross? Who tried to stop the cross? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people is he stricken. That is for all the sins of our lifetime, as we've already said, for all who will receive him as their Lord and Savior. That is what he's doing for you. But if you don't receive him as your Lord and Savior, it is never applied to your account. And you have an eternity in a lake of fire facing you. And so, today is a good time to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says, And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich. In his death. Because. He had done no violence. To anyone. Neither. Was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet. They crucified my Lord and Savior. But. We find. We're going to be told in verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord. That is the Father. This is His only begotten Son. The Father, it pleased Him to, to bruise Him. Yet, as you look at verse 10, it seems even harder. He hath put Him to grief. That is the Father. The Father's there. Why is he there? Why is the father putting him to grief? Isn't it enough what these Roman soldiers are doing to him? Isn't it enough what these people that are the Jewish people and the, uh, not just Jews there, by the way. Some try to say, well, it's the Jews that did it. No, there's Gentiles, all kinds are there. They're witnessing this. 
And he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. You see what he's saying there? We're looking at his body being crucified. All those things that man can do. But that wasn't the worst of the suffering that he had. The father is pouring out not just wrath, but the almighty God, the father who destroyed this world with the flood of waters. The almighty God who created the heaven and the earth. The almighty God who said, let there be light. And there was light. The almighty God is pouring out the all-powerful means and might of his person on the soul, a human soul, of his only begotten son for us. Preachers over the years have emphasized the physical suffering, and there's nothing wrong with emphasizing that. But sometimes we've missed the soul suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sin. Why? Because he's pouring out his wrath on our sin that is upon him. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he became sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us we are accepted in the beloved. We are accepted in Christ. It is his righteousness that takes us into salvation. It is his righteousness that paid the penalty. It was his righteousness by which we are saved. It is his righteousness by which we are accepted into heaven and that day of the rapture. It's not my own righteousness. It will never be my righteousness. It'll be his righteousness in me, in you, in each who have received him as their Lord and Savior. His soul is an offering for sin. His only begotten son who knew no sin. The thing that he hated most. My sin is placed upon him as well as all of our sins. And the Heavenly Father pouring out His almighty wrath on His Son's human spirit. But think of this. Jesus could have called 12 legions of angels. But I don't think He needed to call 12 legions of angels. Do you realize that He was still God in the flesh on the cross? He could have just spoken the Word. He spoke the Word one time to calm the sea. He spoke the word and, and the dead were raised. He could have just spoke the word and come off the cross himself. I would like to have had a movie of that, watching those guys running everywhere when he did that too, if he had done that. But if he had done that, then you and I wouldn't have a salvation. Yes, he's on the cross for you and me. No person, no person ever, ever, no matter what kind of tortures that men have devised and can talk about, no one has ever suffered as Jesus Christ did on the cross. But here's the thing. Both the Father and the Son, the Father and the Son, agreed realizing what would happen, knowing the end from the beginning, 
to devise a way that you and I could be saved. Sin pains each of them, breaks their heart. And so they're carrying this out. The father, he doesn't get a pleasure out of pouring out his wrath on his son, but it pleased him to take care of the penalty for all sin for all time at that moment. So that any who would repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ could be saved. He carries this out for each of us. Why? Why does he carry that out for each of us? Oh, in your bulletin today, I, I didn't know they were going to put this in there, but it has Valentine. And it's given John 3.16. Makes it a little more special. Why is he doing it? Because God so loved the world. He so loved the world. On the cross, that's why he's praying, Father, forgive them. He so loved them, even though they're torturing him at that moment. And the Father, he gave his only begotten Son. And you know, God hates sin. And he allowed my sin to be placed on his only begotten son. That the penalty may be paid in full. But now I want you to grasp this. From Matthew chapter 25 verse 41. How much does God hate sin? How much does he hate sin? We find something in judgment. It says in verse 41 of Matthew chapter 25. Then shall he say unto them on his left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Everlasting. Why does, what does he mean by everlasting? Simply this. The moment you die, your spirit will return to God and then it will either be placed in what I call temporary hell. And the Bible says hell. But it's being reserved for that eternal lake of fire if you die without Jesus Christ. You die without him. You're going to go to that place. The, the rich man said, I'm tormented in this flame. Please let Lazarus, that man that was full of those running sores all over his body, let him come and dip his finger in water and at least touch my tongue. What kind of torture would that be? And you see, that spirit is an everlasting spirit. It will never cease to exist. The spirit in your body right now will never cease to exist. It will leave your body. But it will go to be with the Lord forever if you're saved, if you've received him, if you've given him your heart and life through repentance and faith. But if not, you're going to spend eternity. If you get killed today and you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to be eternally damned forever. First, you're going to be in that, you might say that's the holding place where they go down there. They're tormented. In the flame. But that's not the worst of it. 
Then there's going to be a white throne judgment at the end of the age, after we're raptured, and then we go through the tribulation, and all of that ends. They'll be up before the great white throne of God, and then they'll be cast into the eternal lake of fire. They may say, oh, I don't think I should go, or they will see every sin. Everything has been recorded. Everything of their life, every moment of their life, every thought is known. Every deed is known. There is not one of us can say, I don't deserve to go to hell. We each do. But because God so loved the world, we have a way of escape. But if you don't take that way, hell is your eternal destiny. You remember the story? The man at Gennesaret, full of demons. They, <clears throat> it's, when they were asked, what is your name? When Jesus asked, what is your name? He says, Legion, 6,000. There's 6,000 demons in one man. Think of that. But those 6,000 devils are so fearful, so fearful, that they say, send us into that herd of swine before the time. You know, you may say, I don't really believe in a hell. Those devils do. Those devils believe in it. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. In other words, it was prepared to torture angels. Who do we think we are if those super spirits are tortured by it? That we would not be tortured by it if we were there. There's no ceasing to exist. There's no escape. The only escape you have is now in this lifetime. Hell is real. The lake of fire is real. And you'll never cease to exist if you go there. Yes. His only begotten son on the cross hates my sin that is laying on him at that moment. But in love, he's paying it for me. He's paying it for me. You may be here today and say, you know, I, boy, I think I'm saved. You think you're saved. Have you ever been driving down the highway and you say, hey, I think this is the way, I think I'll take this road. And three hours later, you're further away than you were. Why? Because you thought, I think this will do it. No. Well, I think my good works are good. Hey, I've never, I've never shot anybody. I've never stole. I've never done drugs or something like that. You know, something to come up something like that. It's not what you didn't do. It's what you did fail to do. Receive Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, confessing, I'm a sinner. I deserve to go to hell. I need a Savior. And Jesus Christ is that Savior. You know, as adults, we don't want to do something stupid in front of our kids. You know, we don't. We don't want to look, oh man, that was dumb in front of our kids. Embarrass your children. You don't want to do something like that. Well, one of the most embarrassing things that you'll ever have in eternity is that your kids find that you went to hell because your pride was so great you would not walk an aisle to receive him as your Lord and Savior when he was hung on a cross, he was hung naked, 
They spat on him. They mocked him. They made fun of him. They had him bleeding everywhere. They took a crown of thorns and crushed it on his head. I've seen those thorns. They're like that over in Israel. Hard thorns on his head. He's taken all of that for us. Can you give a Bible reason why you know if you died today that heaven's your home? If not, don't put it off any longer. If he would die publicly on a cross the way he died, don't be ashamed to walk an aisle to receive Christ as Savior. Well, my friends or my family or somebody might make fun of me or make think, look, the ones that would make fun of it are the ones that are going to be burning forever and ever. You don't want to be friends in their hell with them. As 1 Corinthians 6 tells us, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. I hope that you'll come. Let's bow our heads.